Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Tuesday, April 7, 2020, and I am your host, Scott Fullerton. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I really do appreciate it. Please share this podcast with your friends and subscribe. I definitely appreciate all of that. I have a jam-packed show for you this evening going to get to it very soon here. If you missed our Musical Monday episode last night, I had the pleasure of speaking to two fantastic singers and songwriters. My buddy Eris from New York City, he's working on his newest album during this downtime, thanks to Corona 2020. And then my new friend, Zach Day, a contestant on this season's The Voice, talked about his career and time being on John Legend's team. Two great interviews. You can check them both out and all of the season's previous episodes at your favorite podcast distributor. Just look up the Left of Straight Show at iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Or just search Left of Straight Show in your Google search engine. It'll give you all the ways you can subscribe to it. So I appreciate that. And if you like an episode, uh, please give me a five rating, and that'll get it sh- uh, shared with a lot more people on that platform. So I appreciate it. So with that going on, tonight I have three amazing taped interviews from last week and a live closing tonight uh, at the end of the show tonight, which will be about 7.45 Pacific time, about 10.45 here East Coast time. I'm going to have a special live guest, Kevin Grant Spencer is coming on. He has an amazing fundraiser for the service industry in West Hollywood this weekend we'll be talking about. So be sure to stay till the end for that. Up first, in just a couple of seconds, we are going to have Archer Love, who is as lovely as his name implies. He's just a gentle and caring soul who I came across when I saw him on Demi Lovato's live stream a couple weeks ago. They're good friends. He's an author, jewelry maker, singer, and entrepreneur whose company, Alchemy Now, has amazing products for wellness and creating balance in our lives. So we had a good conversation while he was driving in L.A. last week. He'll be up in just a second here. After Archer from New York City is author and mental health advocate Stephanie Schroeder, who works with the homeless community by day, has written her own mental health journey memoir, and edited an amazing collection of LGBTQ stories, poems, and artwork called Headcase at Night. So we're going to talk mental health during the Corona 2020, and she has some great truth bombs to share with all of you guys. 
And then finally, before I bring Kevin on live at the end, uh, is my interview last week with Chris Bedell, who writes young adult novels from a male-for-male perspective. He has two new books out. He's also a seriously devoted Days of Our Lives fan, second time on the show, so glad to have him on the show. So we're going to get into it right now. We're going to play a a little song here and come back with uh, our good friend Archer Love. It's a great interview. Like I said, we're doing mostly pre-tape interviews this season. These are live openings. I'm going to have a live closing, do live closings. So uh, the one thing I did notice when I was putting together um, Archer's package is I say I love it a lot. So I got to work on my interviewing skills because I love everything, it seems, which I really do. But you're going to hear me say I love it about 8,000 times. So that's one thing when I was doing all the live shows, I don't really recognize that I'm saying these things live. And now that I'm doing pre-tapes and I have to listen to myself as I edit them, I say I love it a lot. So, But I really do. So it's honest. It's not coming from a fake standpoint, just so you know. So let's jump into it here. We're going to play a little bit from our good friend Levi Christ, who has an amazing new Sunday series. He's doing live streaming uh, of his music. He's got a new podcast out. I'm going to hopefully get him on the show very soon. This is Levi Christ, so much better. When we come back, we're going to be talking to author, jewelry designer, uh, entrepreneur, Mr. Archer Love. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Taking half to them dry. I've been working too hard. I wanna leave it all behind. me, pushing and pulling, yeah, the world keeps spinning around and around. But I go with the flow. Nobody gonna get me down. Just cosmological ecstasy It ain't hold of me
yeah, I ran a 4.340. So when I say that I wanted to be in the NFL, it wasn't like a pipe dream. It was like something that for about 10 years of my life, I diligently worked towards. Um, but my senior year, I was injured, and that changed all that for me. So because I knew I was never going to be able to work out quite the same and that it was going to become a chronic issue if I kept pushing it. So I joined the Air Force, um, munitions specialist. I made missiles and rockets. I was discharged from the military with PTSD, anxiety, and depression, which got me interested in medicine. So then I went to the University of Arizona, pre-med. My plan was to become a psychiatrist, and I studied uh, nutritional science, chemistry, and psychology. And after graduating, I decided that sticking to a natural route would be more comfortable for me. I, During my undergrad, I used many of the psychiatric medications to treat myself. I was obviously prescribed, you know, by a psychologist, a psychiatrist on the university. And I tried all these things, and I, I didn't find uh, that they really were what I was looking for. So I, I knew that being a psychiatrist wasn't really my path because nothing I was offered really, like, really truly helped. So right. I got into Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, shamanism, and when I discovered alchemy and when I discovered Ormus, I found my passion. Um, I started making Ormus. The Ormus I was making myself was just unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I was having super colorful lucid dreams, telepathic and synchronistic phenomenon, like never ending. I started to feel a sense of peace that I hadn't felt in as long as I could remember. And it was really helping me with my PTSD symptoms and the anxiety and all that stuff, like like nothing I'd ever tried before. So I got really passionate about that, and that's where Now Alchemy came from. That is amazing. I love that. And how, I mean, you have to have your own sense of spirit to be able to take that. It's one thing to live your life and kind of let it focus your life, but you, like I said, you have this giving soul. What made you think this would be good for others as well? Well, you know, it was good for me, so I just figured if it works for me, I'm sure it's got to work for a lot of others, too, because um, we're not alone in any of our struggles. You know, we all struggle from PTSD and depression, anxiety. A lot of people, not all of us, obviously, but we all struggle from something, and those struggles right. are very common, you know, so I was looking for a remedy for myself, but also for others, you know. That's fantastic. I love that, and... You talk about Ormus. Give everyone a little bit of uh, background on what that is and how these chemical compounds, how did how did this come into your life after working on this? How did you kind of know where to go? Was it more intuitive? Um, was it experimentation? Or talk about the beginning stages for you. Well, I really just started making it and giving it to my friends for free. And I did see a vision of, everybody in the world having it, but I never made a business plan, even to this day. You know, like, I am a very surrendered person, and it's, um, I, I just kind of take it day by day, and um, in the beginning of the company, I literally just had a bottle that had a sticker on it that said Ormus and my phone number, you know, and friends of friends would call and buy it, and um, I made a website, and people started interviewing me and things like that. And then people started wanting to buy it all around the world. And, and then I had to make an LLC and get 
legal labels with all the appropriate information on it and get a lab certified facility and all this stuff and it just kind of started growing on itself you know that's great i love that i love that and what was your first major product um and when do you feel like it was starting to really connect with uh with your friends and people that were using it my first product was Ormus, and um, I, I lived in West Hollywood, and I used to go to the Air One a lot, so there was a tonic bar employee that knew what Ormus was, and so he got really excited when I told him I'd make it, so I gave him a bottle, and he loved it so much that he started carrying it in his apron, and when customers would come in, he would offer them some just out of the kindness of his heart, and that was how it first he he was really one of the only people that I gave it to other than myself you know and um it just that's that's how it was introduced basically to the world was through the tonic bar worker at Air One <laughs> very cool and talk a little bit yeah. about the science behind it how is it used and and you have Great ways to get this to distribute the best way through your body and everything. Talk about a little bit about the science mm-hmm. behind it. So Ormus has been used for ages, and they used to use it in, um, well, they used nano gold in psych wards to treat alcoholism, dementia, and schizophrenia. Um, gold in various forms, in an Ormus form, a nano form, a colloidal form, has been used for ages. Um, since ancient Egyptians, you know, many people believe. And so it's now been studied a lot more, and what it's showing is that it balances the left and right hemispheres of the brain, uh, which activates the alpha and theta state, which is what happens when you meditate. And there's also a form of healing called theta healing, of tapping into the theta state. And um, so this is a it's a healing frequency, um, Balancing the brain hemispheres balances uh, the masculine and the feminine, the artistic and the mathematic, um, and just really kind of puts people into harmony, you know, balance, right, right. you know, and, and it really does that. Um, it also nourishes the pineal gland. So the pineal gland um, as fuel, and it makes melatonin, uh, okay. It regulates the pituitary gland and it regulates other glands that are responsible for hormone production and everything. So, and and some believe that the pineal gland is the seat of the soul because it's the first thing that begins to develop even before the spine, and everything forms around mm. that. So it's like where our soul comes in and starts to manifest the body from, and it's where our consciousness resides. You know, so having a clear pineal gland is really important for a colorful lucid dreaming for awareness for conscious thought you know for for like our sense of free will actually for just knowing who we are and what we are how we feel and what we want you know fantastic and most of us are listening to us on their computers or on their favorite podcast distributor unless they're listening to us live and watching the slideshow that goes underneath they can't actually see the product um, they're in droplet form. Describe how you use the product. Yeah, so with Ormus, you would want to take it under your tongue at least once a day with a positive affirmation. And it's great to do things that you want to be more tapped into. So like before a meeting, be 
before meditation, uh, even just like before a date, you know, just things you want to be really present for. And um, there are 13 other elixirs at nowalchemy.com, and all of these elixirs are formulated to increase the immune system, boost and support the immune system, and, and for youth regeneration. So a lot of very, very powerful, beyond powerful types of antioxidants like carbon-60. When scientists de developed that in 1996, they won the Nobel Prize. And uh, in 2012, a study went off called the Bahati study that showed carbon-60 had an ability to make rats immune to lethal amounts of radiation. And so now with 5G and everything, we're all just basically swimming in this toxic radiation air. And so carbon-60 is great for detoxing. That pulls oxidative species out of the body. And then I have full-spectrum hemp extract to nourish the cannabidiol system um, and just so many other things. I love it. And like you, say, like you said, you have a great array of products here um, going from what is some of your recommendations, someone that is first trying the products out, what are what do you recommend as a good, quote-unquote, start, yeah. we'll say? Yeah, they're, they're all so powerful, but I would say that Ormus, Vitality, Carbon 60, the C60, those three are super important. Vitality has liposomal vitamin D3, liposomal vitamin C from Camu Camu, so it's a full, whole food vitamin C, not just ascorbic acid. Uh, liposomal K2, liposomal B-complex, and it's amazing for the immune system. And then the Ormus Gold I talked about, the Carbon 60 is great for the radiation. So, like, those three are a really good starting point. Fantastic. And then as you get used to this and you're looking to do different things, um, you have different products like your Atlantis and Limitless. Uh, talk about these yeah. things and what they can be used for. Yeah, so Atlantis is an algae-extracted DHA, DPA, EPA, which is omega-3s. So it's a great, clean, uh, ethical substitute for fish oil. Um, it's good for the brain. It's good for autism. Um, it's good for depression. It even helps with skin and hair, eyes, um, seeing, hearing. Uh, and then let's see so many other things like Shilajit is known as the destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. It pulls heavy metals from the body. It's libidinizing, you know, boosting a libido. Uh, it's got 85 plus minerals in it. Fulvic acid and humic acid, which uh, detox the body of parasites, mold, viruses, funguses, bacterias, and um, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of amazing things. Fantastic! I love that. And um, hemp and CBD is so talked about now. It's kind of the end thing, but this is going beyond that and really taking these and having it in addition to what you're doing. Talk about how the infusion of that. Um, has made kind of a nice little marrying match here. Uh, yeah, right, like infusing hemp with Ormus and with Shivaji and stuff. Is that what you're saying? Like mixing it all yeah. together, the alchemy of it? Right, yeah. Right. They, they do so – they're great on their own, but together, man, like they amplify each other's benefits. And, and that's the thing about now alchemy is these these genius formulations, you know, like – these formulations, this is my gift and my passion. You know, it's mixing them together. And and a lot of them are oil-soluble or water-soluble. And, you know, and, like, mixing them together in a way 
that not only brings them into a homogenous solution so that they're actually fully um, like dissolved within each other, but also enhancing the absorption uh, and the absorption rate by 10 times, you know, so like the nano enhanced CBD is 10 times as absorptive and effective as CBD oil. So 100 milligrams of CBD um, nano enhanced is as useful as 1000 milligrams of CBD oil, you know, and because I'm actually in the lab making these things myself, the prices are very low and the quality is very high. Um, with now alchemy, you're getting something you can really trust. There's a lot of companies out there who aren't in integrity, aren't honest. You don't know who's making it. You don't know who runs the company, and they don't really care about their customers. They're just picking up trends and trying to sell. Like, they'll sell a CBD isolate, you know, which does nothing for us, but it's CBD. So they're right. like, great, people are going to buy this, you know. And, yeah, so that's the thing about now alchemy just trust. I love that. And I also like you talk about the price, and people might look at it, and their, their price point has different price points, but we're talking about the concentration. These are drops. You get quite a bit in there. Forget so, so just the use of them, I think these got to be, will last you for a while, right? Absolutely. There's 100 droppers per bottle. So a person can use one dropper a day. Like these are used to level up our vibe, to make us healthier, and really for prevention. They're not necessarily, and they can be used for other methods, but I formulate these things just to be healthy and kind of keep keep the sicknesses away. So, um, yeah, one dropper a day, three droppers a day if if you want more. But it's really just the the process of keeping these things in your system so that they continue to work with you long term is like a lifestyle, you know. So a bottle can last up to three months. I love that. And we talked a little bit off air. I am a huge um, – Coffee Fiend, I use it for right. I have a cup mm. right before I meditate in the morning. I've been trying to practice mindfulness more every morning. I also use it to get me through my research for my interviews. What are some good products that I can take uh, that can mix with my coffee to, to help with all these things? Well, the thing about coffee, because I love coffee too. Let me tell you, I do. Um, but coffee is <laughs> acidic. Coffee is acidic, and viruses and bacteria grow easily in an acidic environment, so you want to be alkaline. But one thing you can do to alkalize the coffee is put now alchemy ormus in the coffee, and that will alkaline it. And then not only does it keep your body from being acidic, but it also makes it so that the body receives the caffeine from the coffee faster and better, so you actually will get more out of the coffee. Also, coffee stimulates the glands, like the pineal gland, the adrenal gland, and in stimulating those glands, it burns up our minerals really fast, so it leaves people mineral deficient. And Ormus has over 100 minerals from the Dead Sea and Himalayan Sea, so adding those minerals to the coffee will also help to neutralize that um, mineral demineralizing effect of it. So definitely add Ormus to your coffee. And talk a little bit about, like I said, I saw you talking to Demi Lovato on this, so obviously she likes your product. Talk about um, what you're hearing from your customers uh, you got so many great endorsements on the website. Talk about um, what people are saying and what really has made you feel good about offering this product. Yeah, so people, well, people are telling me that their acne went away. Um, they're telling me that they have never felt so peaceful and balanced and 
that they're able to connect with people better, um, sleep better. Um, you know, some, some people are telling me that I give them a lot more energy. Um, they're sleeping a lot less. You're getting a lot more done. Oh, manifesting, manifesting is huge, especially for the armors. People are telling me they they manifested things that they have been trying to manifest for years and years and years, just fell into their lap, you know, that sort of stuff. I remember you talking to Demi about that, and you said one of these uh, mix, one of these elixirs is better for that. What did you recommend? Because I love manifesting. I'm a huge yes. vision yeah. board plan. Talk about what do you recommend yes. for that? That would be the Ormus Plus. The Ormus Plus okay. has gold, rhodium, ruthenium, platinum, palladium, silver, and copper. And it, those are all in nano form, and they're super conductive, uh, increases cellular communication, increases our energy. You know, we put out this electromagnetic sheet, our aura, and it literally amplifies the power of our aura, raises our vibration so we're thinking more positive thoughts, um, makes our visions more visual so that we're able to see what we want to pull in, and literally just amplifies the magnitude of what you're putting out into the universe so that it comes back stronger and faster. Very, very cool. I love that. And one of my favorite mm-hmm. things about you and the product is uh, you talk about the website too. Your mantra is all about thank you for being here and you pay it forward and you really uh, are trying to make a mission of getting a healthier world out there. Talk about the importance of that for you. Well, that's just everything. You know, I mean, that is just, me personally like no matter what i was doing it it would be that um uh, i just i want to be happy and i think service is the key to happiness you know if if we want to be happy the best way to be happy is to try to make others happy um not to a state not to a state that there other people are taking advantage of us but if we wake up in the morning and the first thing we think is what can i give today how can I make the world a better place? How can I make people in my life feel good? You know, then we're going to be, this is our positive things. We're going to feel good. Um, if we wake up and the first thing we think is, how can I make money? How can I look better? Like all of this, that's all lack stuff, you know, rather than thinking of like, oh, what do I have to give? And like, what can I do? Thinking about like, how am I going to get what I want? It's just like, um, it's just void stuff. So if I made, I'm not saying that waking up with that perspective is going to keep people from being successful. You know, I could make millions or billions of dollars with that perspective of what can I take, you know, but regardless, I'm not going to be happy, you know, and you can make just as much money and be just as successful with a positive attitude. So you might as well just have a positive attitude. Well said, my friend. I like that. And talk about these products are amazing, but you, you've also branched yourself out. You have a line of jewelry. You do healing music. You also publish a book. Talk about Lucid Living a bit. Oh, Lucid Living. Uh, Well, that was a gift to my father, first and foremost. So my father passed away in November, and he always told me I should be a teacher, you know, and he always told me I was, after talking to me, he felt better than after talking to a psychologist. You know, he would tell me things like this. And Mm -hmm. I had wanted to to share a lot of my philosophies for years. And I wrote several books, books that were hundreds of pages, wrote one that was 600 pages and deleted it, you know, and just, I wrote a lot, but never put anything out. When my father passed, I, I just wrote this book in like two weeks and published it, you know, as a gift to him. And what the book is, 
is uh, it's an activation, you know. So it's called lucid living. And lucid basically is aware, awareness. We are lucid to the to the um, level that we're aware, and so it's it's sort of um, an activation of neurolinguistic programming. So neurolinguistic programming is changing our neurons through language, um, using different types of belief systems and ways of wording things to sort of boost our mind, make our mind um, create more positive neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, um, literally using words for that. And so it's like rewiring our neurons to, to make us more positive and then to attract more positive things into our life. So the book itself is written in an activation. So by reading it, one is actually activated. Um, it's it's not like an instruction manual or a, a psychology book. Like it's actually an activation. That is fantastic. It music. sounds like a love letter to yeah. your dad. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And same with to the music. The music it's it's all you know healing, positive. It's just positive vibe. You know, positive words, positive messages. All that's all that's really important to me. Um, and and the jewelry is Lemurian. So it's all centered around this very special ancient stone called Larimar, which comes from Lemuria and Atlantis. And so wearing this Larimar helps to activate our 5D consciousness. Um, these were five-dimensional beings that lived in Lemuria and Atlantis 40 million years ago. And so this is a very special, very high-vibe stone. It also opens the throat chakra. helps us communicate and manifest. I love that. And I also like, um, I appreciate you talk about neuro-linguistic programming. I heard you mention it on your live stream the other day, and it's such, I've always considered neuro-linguistics more how you're working with others and trying to, like, I know it's been used for curing different things and for kind of persuasion for others, but you can actually use it to persuade yourself. I haven't seen as much of that yeah, done with it. I like exactly. it coming back to that exactly. way. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Right, totally. Yes. Very, very yeah. cool. Well, I love that. Well, Archer, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're hugely busy right now. I want you to do me a favor and give everyone your website and also where they can follow you on social media. So when you have these occasional uh, live streams or everything, they can they can listen to you and just fall enrapturously in like with you as I have. Uh, give all your information oh, for me, my friend. Thank you. So the website is nowalchemy.com. That's N-O-W-A-L-C-H-E-M-Y.com. Um, and that's for all of the elixirs. So anti-aging, youth regeneration, um, healing of anxiety, uh, immune system boosting, all that's at nowalchemy.com. For the Lemurian jewelry, archerlove.com. For the book, Amazon. The book is called Lucid Living by Archer Love, and that's on Amazon. Uh, my music is Archer Love on Spotify and iTunes and all the other channels. And, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, my Instagram is Archer Love, and then I have another Instagram page called Now Alchemy as well. And those pages I use just to post things I'm thinking about. I have a live every day at 7.27 p.m. Pacific Standard Time called The Keys to Healing, where I do a breathwork, ormus-activated, intention-setting, sound-healing ceremony with everybody. And then I do a Q&A and talk about my products and everything. So you can join me there, too. Uh, very, very cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to have to definitely get some of your music to play for some of our bumps here. I can use some healing music on the Left of Straight show, that's for sure. 
Um, you know, if I play a song right now from my Spotify, I'm wondering if you'll be able to hear it. Can we try that? We can try it. Sure, go ahead. We'll see if it works. Okay. All right. So this song is called Fearless Way. Let me know if you can hear it. Can you hear? No. Uh, okay, well, why don't you go ahead and send me over okay. an MP3. All right. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking the time, Archer, and we are going to treat our listeners today. Uh, by playing out with Fearless Way by Archer Love. You can find it on Spotify. Go to his website, look for the products. I will put a link in our description of the radio show and on the Left of Straight website. Archer, it's been a pleasure having you on. We're going to have to have you back, my friend. Absolutely. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being and hearing. I love you. I love you too, my friend. Stay on the line for me, guys. This is Fearless Way by Mr. Archer Love. Okay, we lied. Archer could not get that song over to me today, so I'm going to play it on next week's episode on Musical Monday. But uh, big thanks to Archer Love for a great interview. You really got to check out his products and his book and his jewelry, and he's just an amazing, positive, positive person, and I'm so happy to have Archer in my life now, I got to tell you. Uh, We are going to have another interview in just a couple seconds with uh, our new friend, Ms. Stephanie Schroeder. Again, she is an author and a mental health advocate. She has wrote a gripping memoir of her own stories through mental illness and recovery. And then she has co-edited this fantastic book of stories, poems, uh, pictures, and everything called Headcase. So, We'll play a little Kevin McHale from Glee and from the Showman's podcast. And uh, this is Help Me Now. When we come back, we're going to have Stephanie Schroeder I had the pleasure of talking to last Friday. So we'll be back. You'll see the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Yeah. 
happy to have my next guest on today. I met her when she was a guest on Voices for Change 2.0, the mental health podcast that I produce and airs on the Left of Straight Radio Network on Saturdays. Uh, she's an amazing advocate for mental health and wellness, especially in our LGBTQ community. She's a writer with many great writings of her own, including her own memoir titled Beautiful Wreck, Sex, Lies, and Suicide. And she co-edited last year a terrific collection of personal essays, poems, and artwork called Headcase, LGBTQ Writers and Artists on Mental Health and Wellness. With everything going on in the world right now with Corona 2020 and the isolation so many of us are going through, I thought it'd be great to bring her on the show. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Miss Stephanie Schroeder. Stephanie, how you doing? I'm good, Scott. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you. You did a great interview with our friend uh, Rebecca and Joe over the weekend, so I thought it would be wonderful to have you on here as well. I mean, I primarily do entertainment and pop culture, but I also like to do advocacy, and I think that mental health really needs to be addressed in these times we're living through, right? I mean, it always needs to be addressed, of course, and I'm sure you agree, but yes, especially now when um, this COVID thing, people are isolated. Um, people can't see their families. They can't see their friends in particular, right, in our community. And um, I, I, I read something that um, the LGBTQ crisis line, um, and I don't know which crisis line, the main one, I guess, of our whole community, has been getting more calls than ever, like double, triple the number of calls. So that just uh, speaks to that. Mm. Yeah, I bet. And you're in the epicenter of this madness in New York City. How are you and your girlfriend holding up? Um, we're holed up. And we're holding up, hold up in our apartment. <laughs> um, you know, we're both working from home. She teaches um, at the Borough of Manhattan Community College, and she's teaching online. And I'm a peer specialist at a homeless shelter. Um, and it's a little bit weird to work from home because it's a direct service job. But uh, it's working out so far. And, yeah, we're just taking it one day at a time. And I think that's really the only way um, it's going to 
it's going to be uh, mentally, um, be able to mentally thrive. Right. Well, be good and be healthy up there. I mean, your governor has been doing an amazing job uh, out there. And it's just a, a crazy time to be a New Yorker. I can imagine. I mean, New York kind of thrives off the energy of the city. And all of a sudden, that's just to a low home right now, right? Totally. Um, like, we're on the 22nd floor of this building um, in midtown Manhattan. And, you know, there's a few dog walkers out. And we're also one block from a hospital, Mount Sinai, sirens all the time. And, you know, we hear sirens all the time, but not constantly and not, you know, not it's piercing the silence that is, never happens anyway. So, yeah, it's pretty mm. creepy. And as I, as I mentioned before and to a lot of my friends, it's kind of apocalyptic. I bet. Ugh, very crazy. Well, you're a terrific writer, and I want to get into that in a second. But as a first-time guest, I always like to get a little bit of background. Tell me right. a little bit about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I grew up around in and around the Midwest. I was born in Champaign, Illinois, and, you know, my family moved around a lot, uh, many places in Illinois. And we were in Ohio for a minute, in Kentucky for a minute, and we landed in Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, my father was a insurance salesman, and that's why we moved around. I wasn't an Army brat or anything. Um, so I grew up mostly from probably age, age 11 till I left for Chicago uh, at age 18 in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I was an angsty, angsty teen, um, you know, and having been diagnosed, of course, which we will talk about with bipolar disorder at age, you know, in my 30s, like that doesn't, that kind of makes sense. Um, I was also, you know, a tomboy, uh, by a surprise. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I wanted to be, guess what, a writer. Um, and I wanted to do it. That York was City. always a dream. That's cool. It like was, that. yeah. I mean, I went as a this route. I studied fashion design, and I studied, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and then finally got a degree in journalism, a law degree, actually, oddly enough. And um, yeah, and started writing. That's amazing. I, I love that. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, we'll definitely get it. And everyone has their own coming out journey. I like to know when did you first come out to yourself and when did you first find and feel comfortable in the LGBTQ community? So, um, I, God, when wasn't I out? Um, I mean, I was out probably in grade school, late grade school, early junior high. You know, I was, it was clear that I was, you know, interested in in the other girls. And, you know, I've come from a very, very liberal um, family and oh, nice. there was never, there was never any shame about gay people or, or God forbid black people who were, it was like a super racist place where I grew up, the this, this city. Um, and my friends were super racist and all kinds of stuff. Um, so, you know, all these things were not an issue in my household. So I felt very comfortable, um, with myself. Um, so I guess I came out you know, junior high school, I, I remember I was trying to kind of tell my parents, who I didn't think would have a problem, but I was, I guess, this book that I read, which is like the funniest book, um, it was it was Masters and Johnson's Female Homosexuality in Perspective, like this clinical, statistical book. And we're talking and I just, junior high? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was sitting in the living, 
or maybe like a little bit later, but like I was sitting in the living room reading it. It was like this hugely thick book, and you know, I would hold out words, you know. So that when I told my parents, like by by the time I was seventeen or eighteen, um, they're like, "Yeah, we know." And that's all right. That's just that it's all right. We embrace that. We we love you. And you know, okay, now what's for dinner? You know, um, <laughs> but but what, nice. you know, then I moved, yeah, it was very nice. And I moved to Chicago and and studied various various things at various places. Um, and I wasn't. I don't think I was really in the the LGBT community. There. I was. I mean, I went to Loyola University for a while, which was very strange. I did find an LGBTQ academic community there. But it was kind of self-loathing at this Jesuit college or university, and um, very strange. Um, so it wasn't really. Hmm, it's a long, it's a long story. But I, I actually ended up in Reading, Pennsylvania, a couple of years later, um, with my first oh, girl, wow. my first, with my first living girlfriend, and found a community there. And it's interesting. Reading, Pennsylvania, was a huge place for Exodus International. So. There are tons of, of course, unconverted gay people living there. So that's oh, where it's wow. Like, that's kind of different. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know. Very wild. Well, very cool. I, know, I, talk, I have lots of friends in Chicago. There's um, the girls that live across the street. They're both sisters, mm-hmm. and they went. they moved to Chicago. And one of them is out and married now with a kid. And then I talk mm-hmm. every year. To um, what's the big lesbian festival they have right around Pride in Chicago every year? Oh God, I can't remember what it's called. I don't anyway, know, man. I haven't. I've, I've talked about it. But it's a, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a it's a great community. So so that's very cool. Yeah. All right, well, I want to yeah. get into uh, this here. Um, I don't want to go too deep in your mental health journey because you really documented it so well in your book, and right. you did have a great interview that my listeners can go to on leftistraightradio.com on Voices for Change, but let's talk generally about what issues you've had in your own mental health, how it brought you about to your book, and what was the process in writing it? Were you able to release demons, or did it really have you relive some of it again? Are you talking about my memoir? Your memoir, yeah. Yeah, okay, beautiful, Rex. Yeah, um, so my mental <laughs> – it's interesting, yeah. Um, my mental health journey, um, I would say – started officially only officially meaning I got a diagnosis when I was in my mid thirties. Um, so it kind of explained a lot of stuff that was happening before that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, as I said in my other interview, um, I got on medication and, and I've, I've had talk therapy for now almost 20 years or more and it's really helped. And, and I can, I consider myself in recovery from bipolar disorder at this point, but I'm um, writing my book. I started it while I was still in the middle of uh, or still in the beginning stages of even dealing with it. Um, you know, while I was in this relationship, um, not having support, um, being alienated from my family because of a previous abusive relationship where I was isolated from everybody I knew. Um, so yeah, I started writing it and, and I started workshopping it in a, um, writing in a writing group and people are like what this is happening or this happened to you and like it was kind of like people couldn't believe all the weird and crazy stuff that I did number one or that it happened to me um so yeah that was kind of thing and I was in this group 
over a number of years, actually, on and off this writing group. And um, I've, came, I try, I've, try, I've attempted suicide a couple of times. And one time um, was during a time when I was in this group, gender, a, long, a very long weekend in a, a hospital psychiatric ward. And I wrote a part, a part of the book during that time. And I brought it in to my writing group. And they're like, wait, you just suicided and we're in a psychiatric ward and you're coming to the group to tell us about it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> so you said you should did trigger stuff. I picked it up and put it down for years. Um, I don't when I started at my mid thirties, I think I um published it when I was forty five years old. Um so yeah, I did it trigger things. Um not really. I mean Clearly, I had feelings about things um, that came up, but it wasn't, you know, it was not in a harmful way, not in a negative way. Just it oh, made me yeah. have more insight. Made me have more insight about myself and about about my past actions and bad decisions and things that moving forward I could do differently and better. Which is also what talk therapy, you know, helped me about. I love that. That's very, very good. Get into head case a bit. I mean, it sounds like um, you, you, I don't know how you were able to pick this amazing group uh, <laughs> of different artists, both visual and uh, written word. Talk about how this project came, came about. So um, Teresa Theofano, who is a social worker in New York City who works with a geriatric population, um, re- read my book and uh, asked to meet with me she said she had an idea for a book and wanted to you know pick my brain run it by me could I meet with her for coffee and we did and she told me about head case um which is her brainchild she had um created this idea many years prior and then had a tragedy in her life and it had to put it down and then had just recently picked it up again and this is like now five or six years ago um and she asked me to, if I would co-edit this anthology. And I said yes. And um, so, you know, we, we put the word out that we were accepting submissions of, and queries of any, you know, for anything. Um, artwork, comics, illustrations, photographs, stories, fictional, nonfiction, essays. Um, and, it, and, the, and the call for that kind of went, I don't want to say viral, but it, got, it had an enormous reach. Um, so we got a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, and we, yeah, you're right. We had to narrow it down. Um, we initially mm-hmm. said we were going to have 15 or 20 pieces. We ended up with 38. And that says a lot about wow. the quality and, and interesting um, pieces we received. Um, and it's amazing, if I do say so myself. Headcase is amazing. And how is that to critique other people's work? I mean, you're always probably so hard on your own work when you're doing your own writing. What were you looking for when you were going over these pieces that people turned in? Really a lot of honesty, insight. And I don't like the word insight in terms of insight into their mental illness. Um, Just insight into humanity and to the LGBT community. And, And everyone in the book is LGBTQ, whether it be peers, people living with mental illnesses or providers um, who work with LGBT folks or both. There's several providers who are also living with their own mental health concerns. So that's a, uh, that was, that's a really interesting angle. 
you know, we're looking for quality content, um, interesting graphics. We have some really, really amazing graphics, including the cover art, um, you know, maybe new and unique. Also, we were trying to balance out, um, you know, the contributions among race and ethnicity, age, gender identity, socioeconomic status, all those kinds of things. So people across the board would have a voice. You know, Teresa and I are very aware that we're two cisgender white women having the privilege to publish and wanted to amplify other voices than, you know, white middle-aged, you know, lesbians. Right. Very, very cool. Was there anything that uh, surprised you in it or anything that just uh, leapt out to you and said, oh, we have to include that? What were some of your favorite pieces? Um, You know, we agreed on all the pieces. It was so interesting. We agreed on everything that should be included. Some of the, I'll tell you, my favorite pieces um, are um, Teresa's piece, The Family Legacy Ends Here, about um, familial um, ties, familial mental illness, and, you know, her journey. Um, Hannah Wilson, a former psychotherapist or retired psychotherapist and um, radio person in San Francisco uh, has this essay, Our Fault, that's uh, part, of, part of or a rewritten portion of her um, book, Writing Fury Home. It's just amazing, devastating, beautiful, um, about conversion therapy, about her mother's, well, I won't tell you about it. You can read it. Um, J.R. Sullivan Voss sent in this amazing graphic diary. It's 13 panels of, it's hard to call it a comic, but it's a comic of um, their um, journey as a young person in and out of um, psychiatric wards and also struggling with gender identity and gender dysphoria issues. Incredible. Um, It's called Sisyphus or rocks fall and everyone dies. And then my last one, and then I have another, my fourth one, and it's there's not in not in no particular order. Um, Last Lance Hicks, who's an activist in Detroit has this great, um, a nonfiction piece, figuring it out together, mental health survival strategies from Detroit's queer and trans youth. And again, another grassroots um, piece just about, about people trying to survive, about trans and queer youth in Detroit, you know, helping each other, depending on each other. No one else is going to help them. That's all they've gotten. It's, it's really interesting about community, you know, the LGBTQ community. And how we love that. Stick, together, stick together for the most part. Very, very cool. I like that a lot. Well, let's kind of drill into um, Corona 2020 here. I want to uh, get at it from a couple different angles. First, mm-hmm. in a general sense, you work for a homeless shelter, like you said, in your day job. Talk about the uneasiness that comes in that community with not just this virus going around, but suddenly there's all these stay-at-home orders throughout the country and you don't have a home. How does that figure into your mental health equation? Yeah, I, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I get all the emails from the, sh- from the shelter because I'm working online, um, you know, and the, the shelter in place. We can't force it. You know, some of my colleagues are on the ground at the shelter. I'm home because I'm compromised. I have a chronic asthma. 
people are in and out of there. Um, and, and just I have to give a shout-out to my colleagues who are on the ground in the shelter. Like, amazing, amazing work. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's isolating enough to be thrown into a shelter. Our, our shelter is an 80-bed shelter for women 45 and over, um, which is very specific. It's also a very small shelter, if you think 80 beds is small. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, a, it's an unintentional community to begin with. Um, so the isolation probably is, uh, you know, a hundredfold, even though there are other people around, they're not necessarily people you'd ever choose to be with. Um, and, you know, we always, the, the, the residents there are always concerned about catching other things. Anyway, you know, we're, we don't really have issues with buggy type stuff, buggies of any kind. Um, right. But. But you can imagine, um, you know, we have a protocol of how to how to deal with people who may have a cough or whatever, seemingly seemingly have symptoms of COVID or flu-like symptoms. So we have a protocol um, that staff and uh, residents, clients follow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think today, I think today, did I read in the news that the CDC says everyone now needs to wear a mask? So everyone's wearing a mask, the clients, the staff. Um, yeah. I, well, talk about – um, go ahead. Finish up. No, I kind of I wish I was there, but I'm glad I'm not. Right. You know? No, I bet. Well, uh, talk about what kind what, – what are we seeing as the reasons for a lot of people coming to the shelter? I mean, supposedly we're in this fantastic economy – uh, is it broken down mostly in mental health areas or thing, or what are you seeing are the main factors driving um, driving homelessness right now, at least in your area? Well, because we're a mental health shelter specifically, um, you know, that's my area okay. is mental health. So okay. number one is mental health. Number two for women, d- domestic violence drives them into a shelter. So it's mental health, domestic violence, and then really just um, poverty. You know, eviction, losing jobs. You know, I don't know who, I don't know anybody really who's not one or two paychecks away from being homeless. And if you don't have a support right. system or you know, network, you're in the shelter or on the street. You know, the street homeless and there's living in a shelter. But those to me are the top three mental health, gotcha. domestic violence, and money. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this great economy, but it's not great for all of us. That's for darn sure. And there are still people that are becoming homeless because of money. I mean, like you said, I think probably most of the population is very close to a couple paychecks away. Very well said. Um, And talking about our LGBTQ community, um, we have to shelter at home as well. But a lot of us have family and or roommates that aren't even really accepting of us, and we don't have – a chance to go away and be with our community. How do you think that is affecting everyone's mental health? I mean, from what I've read and from what I know and have talked to people about, like I said, that that the hot LGBTQ hotline. Um, these are the kind of calls they're receiving, or these are the reach outs to the Trevor Project or Mind Out UK or wherever it is people are reaching out. LGBTQ people are reaching out. You know, trans trans especially young trans people are, are are at home with their parents say um who are not accepting of their identity and so they're going back into the closet or they're being harassed or they're being 
whatever, like, you know, battered right. uh, verbally or emotionally or physically. Um, the same thing with um, LGB people who, um, you know, are stuck with a roommate, uh, an abusive partner, abusive parents, or just not accepting parents or partners. I mean, not partners, uh, right. but um, roommates. And it's just, um, it's a really terrible situation. And I'm glad people are reaching out. I'm, I bet there's only a fraction of people who are reaching out at all. Um, it's, it, I, I don't even know what's going to be the toll on our community uh, when this is all over. And I even hesitate to say when it's all over. Something will be over, but who knows what. Right. And like and, you said, a um, lot of it comes down to availability, too. A lot of us don't have the availability to find a therapist, either through money or health care or all sorts of reasons. It's it's not a, a given for everybody. It's not a given. Um, you know, LGBTQ people have are like less likely to have insurance or insurance covers therapy. Um and then, then there's the issue of finding a culturally competent provider. I mean, there's so many issues, you know, with this. There's so many barriers, you know, and I'm sure everybody's experienced at least one, probably multiple um, barriers, like 29 states. That was my next US- question, actually. Let me jump yeah. into that for a second, because sure. uh, what should we be looking for in a mental health professional? I mean, we, we can't be embarrassed by asking questions. We need to ask open and honest questions. What should you yeah. be looking for? What questions should you ask when you're looking for a therapist or someone to talk to, especially in the LGBTQ community? You know, have they dealt with an LGBTQ person before? And it doesn't matter that they haven't. Are they open to doing so? Are they open to coming from a perspective that, you know, LGBT, LGBTQ folks, there's discrimination, oppression, there's internalized homophobia, there's transphobia and homophobia, hatred, violence, all kinds of things against us, and also internally, um, and all kinds of barriers, um, including legal barriers. 29 states still don't have inclusive civil rights laws. That's one thing, like, are you willing to work with me, like, as I am, who I am and what I am? You know, and, and hopefully an honest therapist will say yes or no. And especially know right. if they're not comfortable. You know, know if they're not comfortable. Um, you know, I mean, every every issue that every person, every LGBTQ person going to therapy, their their identity of being an LGBTQ person is not their main issue. It may be, it may not be, but it plays into every part of our lives, right? So, right. Um, you know how. Again, how open are you? How flexible are you? Will you will you take my word for my experience, even though that's not your experience, or that's not the experience of another queer person you've heard about? I think that's really important because if we're, I'm talking about, I guess, straight therapists, right? Um, who you know probably probably have some sort of limitations on their experience with queer people. I mean, at least straight people right. I know do. Um, if it's a, if it's an LGBTQ therapist, same thing, you know. Will, you know, especially if you're a trans person or a non-binary person, will you take my word for it? Do you? Can I trust you to to take my word about my own experience, about what I've experienced, and work with me on it on my terms? You know, Great like it, it, 
Yeah, right. I mean it's 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 really the I don't I don't like the word client I don't like the word patient but the person talking to the therapist they're really driving the therapy I know people think oh the therapist you know does talks doesn't talk whatever um, you're paying for it you tell you're doing what you need to do it's your no your I love session. that I, yeah that, no I started talking I've um, I had weight loss surgery a couple of years back mm-hmm. like two and a half years ago. And so I had mm-hmm. to go to a therapist to talk about it. I was allowed to do the surgery. And I just right. lucked into a fantastic therapist that happens to be straight, but I was able to talk mm-hmm. about everything in my life. And I brought up, of course, being LGBT because I'm out and open. And I've got a, had a great experience. I know not everyone does. But mm-hmm. even me in this times, I mean, I, 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 I called her up two, a couple of weeks ago and said, would you mind uh, – let, let's just talk for a bit. We have all this stuff going on, and okay. I, I'm not able to talk with my people, so to speak. We're not allowed to go out right. and communicate. And so she was very good about bringing me back on, and their practices now are adapting, and then we're doing online um, Skyping therapies the last two weeks, and now we're going to go to every two weeks because we had a couple of great weeks of chatting, and now <laughs> I'm feeling good about myself. And so we're switching out, but it's great, like I said, to be able to have that opportunity. One, I know that I'm very lucky to have that opportunity, but exactly. two, um, I, I, I lucked into a great person. You never know who you're going to get. So that's why I love having these kind of questions and, and owning your therapy yourself. Like you said, this is your time. You're paying for it. Make sure you get out of it what you need to get out of it. So, well said. Yeah, you're interviewing the therapist when you go. It's not just that them interviewing you or whatever they're doing with you taking notes about you it's you are interviewing them and if you if you feel at all uneasy move on to the next one very good very good and do you have any resources that people might be i mean the trevor project is always excellent at uh, trevorproject.org any other resources that you reach out to for any lgbtq uh, clients you might have or just friends or family um, well, there's the Rainbow Heights Club, which is a psychosocial club in New York City. Um, that's, of course, in New York City. Um, SAGE um, for seniors all around the country. I'm just going to open Headcase, which has the resources in the back, because so, none comes right. to my mind a minute. Um, let's see. We've got some books. We've got... Um, Sorry for the silence here. Um, LGBTQ pet counseling services. It's, you can go online and find that. NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, um, has an LGBTQ um, component. The National LGBTQ Help Center is a, a the Icarus Project is is uh, nationwide. It might be worldwide. I can't remember. It's an excellent um, group. The Alliance of Hope. Very good. Well, I'm glad you have the resources in the book. I want people to go get the book first. I mean, there's all, you, know, you can always look it up online. LGBT or mental health resources. I mean, we all know how to Google these days, but it's right. nice to have some 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 names at the top Something of your fingers to like on. that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Exactly. I appreciate that. All right. Well, I appreciate you talking about that. I think it's very important that we kind of stick together in this time and reach out to our fellow man in general, especially to our fellow uh, man and woman in the LGBTQ community. Talk <laughs> about um, where they can find you besides your two books we talked about today. You've had some great writing mm-hmm. featured in The Guardian and Lambda Literary Review, Curve Magazine. What's next mm-hmm. in your writing 
world? What are you, anything you're working on right now? I am. I'm working on a television pilot, and I by that that means I'm not contracted to <laughs> by anybody. <laughs> I'm just working. You know what I mean? It's like sounds so glamorous or whatever. Sure. But um, I'm working on one. You know, then I'll pitch it. Then it'll be forever. You know, it's about um, middle-aged lesbians and in the whole LGBTQIA community and um, you know what's going on. And I haven't seen that on TV before or wherever TV is now. Um, you can find me at on my website at Stephanie Schroeder Author A U T A U T H O R dot com Stephanie Schroeder Author. Um, the book can be found on headcaseanthology.com, and I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at StephS910. Terrific. Thank you for that. Now, have you heard of Telefilms? Do you watch anything on Telefilms, T-E-L-L-O? I don't Telefilms. Um, I have not watched anything on there recently um my girlfriend's an actor um and one of her one of her films used to be on tele but is no longer nice well i'm glad you're familiar they're actually right now doing open submissions i wanted to get this out i was going to post it on my social media but i'll say it on air too but they're doing open submissions right now where king people that they are going to do stage table reads of, of the people they select. doesn't cost anything to enter it. You can enter oh. in your own um, submissions of screenplays or, or television shows. Uh, go to tello.com, T-E-L-L-O.com if you're out there, people, and, of course, you, Stephanie. But, uh, yeah, they're doing right. it right now. I think it's through April 15th they're taking submissions. It might be before that. Get out, and they are going to do table reads by established um, out lesbian actresses, so that's cool. a, that's a great resource as well. You just reminded me of that. I was going to put that on my social media two days ago, and I totally forgot about it until you said that. So I'm glad you reminded me. <laughs> well, Stephanie Schroeder, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for being on the Left to Straight show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Well, I enjoyed having you, and it was a great conversation. Um, Stick around, stay on the line. We're going to have a special five questions with Stephanie, so be sure to look for that in our bonus content for the Left to Straight show here. We're going to play out, and we'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left to Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
show with a couple of more books under his belt. He's a great writer of same-sex young adult romance mysteries, and his two latest books are I Know Where the Bodies Are Buried and I Will See You Again, or I'll See You Again. He's also a huge soap fan, which we like to bond over a little bit, and a very good friend of the show. Please welcome back Mr. Chris Fidel. Chris, how are we doing, buddy? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's nice to have you. It's been a hot minute. You've been writing like crazy still. What's been going on in your neck of the woods? How are you holding up in all this Corona 2020? I'm doing okay. I'm just trying to focus on my writing because that's something positive to to focus on. And like you just said, I've recently had two books come out, my YA thriller, I Know Where the Bodies Are Buried, and my YA contemporary novel, I'll See You Again. So that's been nice. Congratulations on that. I'm sure you're getting to watch your soap every day and be right right in real time on it. How are those going? That's good. Days of Our Lives is very lucky. They tape eight months in advance, so they'll be on the air till like the first week of November, regardless of this virus. That is good. It's really tough for all these entertainment people now. I mean, you got all these um, live action reality shows like. The Voice and Idol, who have all their preliminaries done of, of getting to the main shows, and they can't get to the live shows. So who knows what's going to happen with those? And I think um, Supernatural is finishing its 16th year on air, and they had filmed everything but, like, the last two episodes, and it's their season finale, their series finale, and they haven't been able to film the end of it. So it's crazy time out there in the entertainment world, that's for sure. Yeah, Definitely. Well, remind my listeners a little bit about yourself. When did you start writing, and what kind of drew you to this particular genre? Okay, I've known I wanted to be a writer all my life because I enjoyed reading in elementary school, and I thought it would be fun. You know, reading is fun, getting people invested in a story, so I thought I could try my hand at get at at writing myself, but it wasn't until 2018 that I had my first book published and what really draws me to the young adult genre is that all the young adult books deal with the same themes coming of age loss of innocence first love etc but there's always going to be new people coming of age so there's a built-in market 
13 books, so that's nice. And especially now that diversity, like with LGBTQ books, with that, so there's more of a need for young adult books now more than ever. That's great. I love that. And I didn't want really to think about that, but you're right. Someone is always turning 17, 18 somewhere, uh, 15 yes. through 18. So <laughs> very true. <laughs> We're not stopping that anytime soon. So good on no. you for that observation there. Uh, do you have any uh, uh, influence on you from other writers or how do you develop your style? Were you reading other authors first or? Tell me about your influences. The, the first major young adult writer I read is Sarah Shepard. She's the author of the Pretty Little Liars series, and that really helped mm. me thinking about thinking about high concept plots and how to write good di- d- dialogue. Because even the Pretty Little Liars books are dialogue driven too, and so that just really that happened in my freshman year of college, and it kind of. took off from there even when I needed work on my writing craft I always had some sense of plot in my writing nice I like that I've had Brendan Johnson on the show from Pretty Little Liars and he says the same thing it's actually well written stories that started with that caused that huge sensation put them on the air for so long the writers just built upon good writing that was already there I like hearing yes. that. Very, very cool. And Pretty Little Liars kind of brought back the mystery and thriller genre for teen books. No, true. Very true. Very good. And where do you usually find your story ideas? Where do they come from? Um, are they based on any people you know ever? Or where where are you delving your inspirations from? A, a lot of it is from, like, pop culture like this might sound really weird but days of our lives an american soap opera it's very it's they have these crazy storylines but because they do like 250 episodes a year that they have a lot of time to explore character and i like how there's more and i like how they have room to to play there's a lot of ambiguity like a character that starts out as Goody, a goody two-shoes might become a little darker and vice versa. A character that seems to have a heart of ice might actually be revealed to have a soft, a soft side. And it's just interesting to play with that ambiguity in fiction because people can be con- contradictory in real life. Good point. I like that. And how often does it take you to write a book usually? Are you inspired in Right straight through, or, or how does that work for you for your style? I, I I built in time off into my writing because I also have to be working on edits for my publishers. But you know, I try you, you sometimes I I try to write a book like within two to four weeks. Wow. Okay, that's pretty prolific and quick. And yes, but I don't really much- have a regular day job, so that's one advantage. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. This is pretty much full-time for you. That's what I thought. Um, Yes, so that's nice. And how is that for self-discipline? Are you able to discipline yourself to work on it every day, or does it find it hard, especially when there's weird times right now where everything's kind of tipsy-turvy, or how are you disciplining yourself to get the work done? Uh, I'll be honest. It's been kind of a little bit of a difficult time because, like, with the – coronavirus it's always on the news but I also am trying to remember it's important for writers to 
remember to be kind to themselves because I didn't really do much of any writing in March, but that's okay because I was working on book promotion, which is something important. But I also still have three more books coming out this year, so that's so that so I kind of had something in the bank already, so I could take a little rest. Oh, nice. Well, I'll have you give us a little hint on those in a bit, but let's get into the two most current ones. Let's start with I Know Where the Bodies Are Buried. What was the inspiration for that? And share with my listeners a little bit what that story is about. Okay, so I Know Where the Bodies Are Buried. The pitch for that is Gone Girl Meets Adam Silvera's History is All You Left Me, and it's a nonlinear murder mystery. So in the present timeline, you have the main character, Carson, who's a teenager and attends boarding school at an, an, at a prestigious New England boarding school. He's trying. To, he doesn't think his ex-boyfriend Billy died of suicide because Billy d- didn't really fit the profile of someone who would commit suicide, and they never found his body, which is always the first clue in a mystery that there's something more. And so he's trying to unravel what happened to his ex. To his ex-boyfriend, but then in the past timeline, you get insight into their relationship and how Billy wasn't necessarily the nicest person and liked to play games. And so I can't spoil the ending, but it's just interesting. And one of the main themes of the novel is how people aren't always what they seem. People who seem good can be bad and people who seem bad can really be good and you never really know what's going on with someone because people like as in real life people put on a facade and you never know what's really going on behind closed doors and interestingly enough I rewrote the last chapter which kind of changed the book completely and so by the end of the book the readers will be able to figure out if Carson's ex-boyfriend Billy is a psychopath or is just seriously misunderstood it's kind of as I was just saying a couple minutes ago it's kind of fun to play with that ambiguity wow I bet that sounds really really cool now is this the first time you've dealt with um time divergence and how is that for a writer do you have to kind of note card it out so you don't get lost or how does that process work in writing yes uh, i know where the bodies are buried is my first non-linear novel and it could be very confusing so i so outlines are important now more than ever when you're writing a non-linear novel but in some ways i like writing a lot a non-linear novel because both timelines have to work together and so you only have a certain amount of chapters to tell each timeline so the story has to be really tight and that works well with the mystery and thriller genre because you want to keep your readers turning pages and 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 it's just And it sort of allowed me to show things in a different way, like something could happen in the past, but I don't mention it again in the past chapters, but it resurfaces in the present chapters. So it's just, it's interesting to play with the expectations of readers. Very cool. And you said you changed the last chapter. Talk about editing. A lot of writers I talk to, they spend more time editing than they ever do writing. What is your editing process for a book? 
I, I'm glad you asked that question. The last chapter really changed because I, I can't spoil it, obviously, but I could tease it. it uh, going back to what I was saying about Carson's ex-boyfriend, Billy, they're always uh, – in the original version, I never really had a motivation for why Billy was the way he is, and it, and I just knew there was always something more to the story, and I wanted to dig deeper in a way that made sense, but in order to kind of have this jump the shark moment, I did a, I added foreshadowing like a hundred pages before. So even if the reader might not realize the the foreshadowing the first time around, if they reread it, they'd be able to see how it makes sense. Oh, gotcha! Very good. And then back to editing. Like I said, is editing a longer process for you than writing, or is it uh, about the same, or is it a little easier? Do you find that you don't need to do easier. a lot? A little easier. A little easier. Now I've been editing as I go along. Okay. Very. very because cool. I'm vis- I'm visually disabled, so it's hard to do all the editing at the end. It can be a little overwhelming. Ah, uh, I understand. Okay, gotcha. And then, but every writer um, has a different process, and that's okay. It's just important for writers to find the process that works for them. Right. Very true. Very true. And now let's talk about I'll See You Again. Tell me how that came about and a little bit of the plot on that book. Yes, absolutely. I'll See You Again is a YA contemporary novel that's I'll, I'll miss I'll, I forget the, the name of the, the title that I was going to use for the comp title but anyway it's about 17 year old Cyrus and his mother has a cancer relapse and he's a senior in high school and he also has this developing relationship with Nico but at first he doesn't want anything to do with Nico because Cyrus, Cyrus isn't cruel or anything but he's one of those moody and broody and angsty teenagers who puts up walls and doesn't want to be vulnerable. But then as he starts to get to know Nico, he realizes they actually have a lot in common. So it's like you have this push-pull in the book. On the one hand, you have this tragic cancer story, but on the other hand, you have this developing relationship which turns into a romance, and it's just Interesting how the two plots parallel each other. Nice. That sounds very interesting. And how long did that writing process take for you? I started that in January of 2019, and then I found a home for it in July of that that year, and then that it came out in March of the following year. Very nice. I like it. And um, talk about is there what is the hardest part as an independent writer getting books published these days? Once you have a history like you have now with these people, do you find your publishing houses looking for more? Or do you still have to pound the pavement and try to get these books sold each time? Well, obviously, you need substance to to back it up. But once you have one book published, it's easier to get another book published. You you you're you're always trying to work on your reputation as a writer. And what for, is exa- for example, if they accept a book, if they accept one book, but then your next book still needs a little work, but you've proven yourself with the first book, they'll take the chance on the second book. Gotcha. 
And how are these um, these publishers for promotion? Do you find that they're pretty strong on promotion, or do you still find that you're you're doing it yourself primarily? It's a little bit of a mix. Uh, a, a small presses have a limited budget, but in some ways that's a good thing. You don't want small presses to be making promises they can't afford. But yes, promotion is very difficult. I'm always trying to work on marketing. And have you ever thought of self-publishing or is it, do you like going to the different houses? um, I I like going to the different houses because I don't have to pay it for anything. Gotcha. I understand. Very, very cool. And then you said you talked, you have about three books on the horizon here. Um, What can you hint without giving too much away? What do we have to look forward to? Okay, so this month, wow, it's April already. I can't believe it. I have a book come. I have a <laughs> YA thriller. I have a YA thriller coming out Tuesday, April twenty first, and that's another non-linear murder mystery. But I kind of, I kind of flip it. Instead of having the the present past, I have it the present f- future, and um, that's another twisty, soapy type of juicy oh, wow. thriller and then I and then I have a young adult science fiction novel coming out later in the year that's a little bit like the that the CW show Arrow but for teenagers and then I have another YA contemporary thriller coming out in the fall that that deals with homophobia the cycle of violence and whether children are doomed to become their parents. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. I like that. Yes. Um, Talk about, like, I want to know where you get your character's name. I've heard a fun story from some writers that he kind of wanders um, cemeteries and looks for names of old-fashioned names or different people. Where do you find names for your characters? I, I I Google baby names online. Do you really? That's kind of cool. I like that. So but you kind of funny thing like, is a lot of my characters. I yeah yeah I think so. But the funny thing is, I always end up picking a name with a that starts with a C. And guess what? My name starts with a C. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> that is kind of interesting. I like that. I don't that's do really it intentionally. Cool. It just kind of works out that way. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, very nice. And uh, for those that are looking to become a writer, from your experience, what what are your um, recommendations to people? What what do you suggest to people who say, man, I really think I, I want to write a book. What, what do you suggest to future writers? My biggest suggestion would be to work on your writing craft, but do it in ter- but do it in specific terms like it's like imagery characterization and narration etc etc et and there and there's a lot of blogs out there that gives ex- examples of of each element of writing craft and I wish wish I had that 8 or 10 years ago because as I was saying earlier even my earliest writing had the idea had 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 a basic sense of plot, but I didn't really know how to revise it, and it would have been helpful to have that writing craft language and specific examples of why 
some things work and some things don't. And if you do that, you'll be really ahead of the game. Nice. Very good. That's great advice. And do you have any other genre that you're thinking about dipping your toe into ever? If you weren't writing YA, what kind of uh, genres do you think you might be interested in pursuing? Um, I, last year, I, I dipped my toes briefly into the new adult genre. That's fiction for 19 to 30-year-olds, and it occupies that space between t- t- teenage years and your being in your 30s and a full-fledged uh, uh, an adult. And in some ways, new adult is similar to YA, but it deals with more gr- gr- grown-up things but the new adult genre never really took off in mainstream publishing because it got associated with 50 shades of gray type books but people didn't realize that it could be more than romance books and that in the new adult genre is important because 20 20 something year olds need their own space because they're not teenagers but not but they might not have the full-fledged responsibility of raising children or having a mortgage on the house. In other words, words, 20-something-year-olds are still trying to find themselves in their space in the world. Right. Very well said. I didn't think about that. That's That's a very good point for that age group. Now, as a writer uh, and a watcher of, of these soaps like Days of Our Lives, is there any time where you just have to scratch your head and go, I can't believe they went there? What is, what is your favorite plot lines and what is your least favorite plot lines in, in your soap? Uh, oh, I'm so glad you asked that. My least favorite p- p- plot line is love triangles. I cannot stand love triangles, especially over the last two to three years on Days of Our Lives. It's not that love triangles are inherently bad. It's just that they're it, that they can be used to pr- prevent a couple from getting back together when a, when a couple would otherwise be back together. And I just kind of find love triangles boring because it's it just I want I want a bigger a, a couple can have an obstacle without the obstacle being their re- relationship status. But on the same note, I think love triangles can work when you use the love triangle to reveal something deeper about human nature. For example, is there something else at stake besides the romance, like a job or or? or something family-related, something like that. I gotcha. Very good. I like that a lot. And what what is your favorite plot line going right now? My favorite plot line is when they bring people back from the dead because as strange as that sounds, there's a reason why there's that saying, stranger than fiction. All you have to do is turn on the news and, Crazy things do sometimes happen that might seem unbelievable. Very true. And talk about, I mean, Days of Our Lives, I think it was noted for being the first same-sex wedding, male-male same-sex wedding in drama. How are they writing their same-sex characters? Oh, oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Unfortunately, they're treating their they're only gay super couple as second class citizens. They give them screen time, but it's only bre- breadcrumbs. 
Mm, and the only stories they've gotten is a love triangle. That's their main story, and it's just this is going to sound really weird, but the sh- the show was more progressive in two thousand and two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen. Really? Why was that? How yeah. Was that? I just because they were they they wrote they, the writing was better for the same sex couple. Gotcha. Do they at least make them? I mean, re- well-rounded characters, in your opinion, or I they're, mean, yes, they're, they're well. Yes, bit. they are well-rounded. Well, that's good. Okay, very very cool. But they just they right, need well, to be more than just decoration. All right, Chris Fidel, thanks so much for being back on the Leftist Race Show. Let everyone know where they can find your books and where they can find you on social media. My Twitter is at Chris Fidel, and my books, the easiest thing to do is just type Chris Fidel into Amazon. And if there's any updates or delays with my books, I mention that on Twitter, so that's why that's the easiest to, to, to get information about my books there. Super duper. Well, thanks, my friend. I appreciate you coming back on the show. We're going to have a special five questions with Chris. Be sure to look for that bonus content on the Left to Straight website. Chris, thanks for being a guest on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had a great time. All right. Stay on the line, guys. We'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to the Left to Straight show right here on the Left to Straight radio network.
All righty, guys. We are back. That was our good buddy Kenneth Mogan with Unlock Your Heart. And, of course, the video features our good friend Ronnie Kroll. Guys, a big thanks to all my guests today. Thank you so much to Archer Love, Stephanie Schroeder, and Chris Bedell for being on the show today. And as I told you about in the beginning, I have a very special guest coming on now. Uh, we've talked over social media for the past few years. I've been a big fan of his. I've had his friend and occasional business partner, Matt Ledwinski, on the show before. But this is the first time here in the Leftist Trade Show. He's a remarkable actor and entertainment presence in and of his own self, but he's an even better human being. He's working to create a fundraiser starting this weekend geared to help the hundreds of service members in the LGBT community in West Hollywood called WeHo's Night In. They're obviously out of work during Corona 2020, and we're going to have a full interview with them sometime on the show very soon. But please welcome to the show to talk about this very special event, Mr. Kevin Grant Spencer. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I didn't have your mic on for a second. Sorry about that. How are we doing, man? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm I'm doing okay. How about you? I am doing amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time to call in. As I said in the intro, you're always doing such great works out in the community, my friend. And I was excited. I got to sneak in on a little conversation you were having with Mark the other day from Beverly Hills Lifestyle Magazine, and we we're talking about some things we're doing to kind of really help out this industry. Talk about this a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, with, with everything that's going on, uh, I think uh, I had the same experience as I'm sure a lot of people are having, which is just, what can I do? You know, I, I'm very fortunate to still have a, a job for now, thank God, and I'm working from home. And, you know, my, my first thought really is just how can I give back how can I help out uh, those in need? And, you know, I, I was a, an actor, waiter for a long time. Uh, you, you were very kind. I was probably more of a waiter than an actor most of the time. But, um, <laughs> you know, I know what it's like to, to live paycheck to paycheck and, and, you know, make ends meet. And, you know, when, when that paycheck dries up, how urgent things can get. And I worked at Flaming Saddles in West Hollywood for a couple of years, if anybody knows that bar. And, uh you know, that, that's, that's a community and a family to me. And, you know, I, you want to help everyone, but, you know, I, I thought, how can we help get some food on the table, get medicine to people who need it, you know, immediately. And right. uh, we kind of came up with this, this fundraiser idea, very grassroots. It's called We Hose Nights In. And uh, we've got hopefully some big plans, but this weekend we're looking to just do a three-day fundraiser um, it's going to feature virtual events. We're going to try and get people doing, you know, meetups on Zoom. Uh, we're going to do some dance parties, some happy hours. And in the process, uh, we're kind of going to be doing some basically virtual bars, virtual tipping. So as we're all enjoying those events and communicating, socializing with each other, having some drinks, we're going to be tipping the, the fundraiser and trying to raise some money for those, those out-of-work nightlife employees. I love that. Such a great idea. Service injuries so hit hard. That was in one of my previous lives. I was in the restaurant and bar business for 20 years, and it is a very tough industry. They're going through a tough time. The service people, the bar and restaurant owners, I mean, even restaurant now doing takeout orders, you don't know how to do food costs. You don't know who's going to come in, who's not. So you have so much food, you don't know whether to order enough. And there's just, it's a real trouble right now. So I'm glad you're really looking at society and I'm glad you're doing it. Our LGBTQ community and West Hollywood's got to be, do you know how many bars there are there off the top of your head? There's got to be quite a few. 
Off the top of my head, there are about 20, what I, I would say, like 20 bars and clubs. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, so many more restaurants, you know, for this first push, we're going to focus on, on the bar workers, the nightlife workers, where everything's really at a standstill. And, you know, those are the, the places that are probably really going to take a long time to reopen. Um, you know, and then, and then the second aspect, you know, just from a community standpoint is, you know, we, we want to foster this sense of community and togetherness. And, you know, from, from a bartender, bartender's standpoint, uh, you know, a lot of times when we're out, we see the partiers and we see the people who are, you know, the the loudest and seem to be having all the fun. But, you know, uh, behind the bar, I saw so many people would come in and you could tell that this was just their one escape. And they'd come in, they'd order one drink and just kind of immerse themselves in the energy of the room. And, and that that was their their sense of connection to the world. And, you know, that's gone for a while. And so you know, that's why we want to make a big part of this hosting these virtual events and encouraging people to connect with each other online because, you know, that, that isolation is, is a real thing and, uh, and it could go on for quite a while. Oh, it's very important to talk about. I've been doing it on my show the last couple of weeks here because not only are you trapped at home with these stay-at-home orders, but you may be home with a family that does not accept you whatsoever for wherever you may fall in the LGBTQ landscape. And now you are in isolation with this. And and a lot of people, the clubs and things are the only way to socialize, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's, that's the escape. That's where people go to get away from these, these bad situations. And, uh, you know, we're also going to be making a point to uh, highlight and focus on a lot of the resources that are out there and available for, for people to get help. The city of West Hollywood has been amazing in stepping up and, uh, adding to the funds that already existed to to help people in need, whether it's rent assistance, uh, like I said, medicine, food, and then you know the city of Los Angeles has those programs in place. And and I would encourage everyone, you know, uh, to not only get whatever resources their city is providing, um, but also realize that you know there is no stigma right now in in terms of asking for help or needing help, needing assistance. You know, uh, with twenty percent of the country possibly out of work uh we're all in the same boat and you know i, I think we we really want to hammer home that it's it's okay to ask for help and that that help is out there and encourage people to get it there you go well said my friend and that vein i mean you are lucky uh to be working through this and everything i've paid check but you can't do this alone my friend there's got to be some things you know out there what do you need what are you looking for in the the weekend the days weeks ahead to help make this movement a success yeah sure so in the short term for this weekend um we are looking for Lots of different kind of positions, you know, for everything from social media activation, which is just a matter of, you know, uh, joining in on a fundraiser, posting it to your Instagram, posting it on your story, just that you're participating and, and directing people where to go. Uh, it's helpweho.com, which is the fundraising site. And uh, we're looking for people who can, you know, throw a virtual house party. Anyone who wants to grab five friends, 10 friends, 50 friends, get them together on Zoom, throw a little party. Make sure you tip the fund while you're while you're uh, you know having a good time, and then beyond that, anyone who's a DJ, drag queen, singers, magicians, anyone with a talent and a skill who wants to <laughs> show it off this weekend, uh, we'd love to hear from you and and have you host uh, a larger event 
and provide some entertainment for those who are feeling isolated right now. Um, there's, there's something for a- anyone who wants to get involved. We will take the help because you're right. I mean, there, there's no way to do it alone. And, and that is, that's the lesson I'm learning. And the message of the event is that we're all in this together and, and we all need each other. Fantastic. And what's the best way to find more information and to get involved? Yeah, so for more information, you can go to helpweho.com. That's our fundraising page, and there is uh, a lot of info there. Uh, we have a sister website called wehocollective.com, uh, wehocollective.com, and that's going to provide information uh, regarding these resources, yeah, city links to, um, to funds and organizations that can help with, uh, like I said, anything from rent, bill pays, medicine, food. And then uh, you can reach out to me at Kevin at, uh, what's my new address here? Kevin at wehocollective.com. And if you want to reach out to me directly, feel free. And um, like I said, I'll take, take all the help I can get. So anyone wants to contact me there, we can start a conversation and, and get this thing going. Nice. Well, Kevin, I definitely appreciate you taking time to come on the show. We will help all we can through here, through our contacts we have on the show and all of our great friends that we've made throughout the times that we get out to West Hollywood and the area there. Thanks so much for coming on the show, my friend. I appreciate it. We're going to have to have you back for a full interview very soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, This is really awesome getting the message out here. I really appreciate the opportunity and yes, I will be back and we will talk about funny things and happy things and, and uh, go from there. There you go. All right, well, stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to go sure. ahead and uh, get out of here tonight. Big again, thank you to this, today's guest. Next week on Musical Monday, I have the fantastic Cameron Hawthorne coming on. I have Jacob Murphy, who is just on Team Blake on The Voice, coming on. Tuesday, we have uh, great creatives. Michael Verratti's done so much great uh, writing, directing, producing. And our good friend Adam Rothenberg from New York City, who does the Call Me Adam website and blog, does great Broadway interviews. So we're going to play out tonight with our good friend Blake MacGyver. This is, this is who we are, and this is who we are, guys. We're here to help each other out. Thanks to Kevin. Be sure to check out WeHo's Night Out, or Night In, excuse me. And we'll be back next Monday and Tuesday right here in the Left of Straight show on the Left of Straight radio network. past the signpost of this tiny weathered town. The tears welled up so high inside, I thought that I might drown. Everything different, but it all looked the same. And now you're here beside me, and I'm rid of all my shame. I just hope that they will see. What has always been in me How much do I love you Will they understand Everything
small boy I never thought there'd be That perfect happy ending For anyone like me I could read the signals Speak smiles and the blessed heart And I still hear the whispered words That said I'd never be apart Now I want them all to see The strength of you and me There we go. Sorry about that. Kick us back into the studio for a second. You still there? Kevin, can you hear me? <laughs> 